Welcome to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. Faith in Jesus and Beyond is the title of this seventh message in the Great Mystery series. Pastor Ben Pitney is going to speak from Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 15. At Vail Christian Church, we believe in training followers of Christ to worship, gather, give, and serve. morning. Thank you for tuning in. My name is Ben Pitney. I'm the lead pastor of Vail Christian Church, and um, we are going through a series called The Great Mystery, and it's through the book of Colossians. And so this has been a really wonderful book for us, and we've come back to it recently. I know that we're still meeting in uh, our homes. We're watching church on TV. We still know that that's different. We're not quite sure how long that's going to go. But we're going to keep journeying through this letter, this specific letter to this specific church, because there's so much that applies to us. And today, we're going to talk um, about Jesus quite a bit. And we're going to talk about what it means to be in Christ. And eventually, I'm going to uh, share an analogy of Buzz Lightyear. So you kind of need to pay attention to that if you're... um, a kid watching the message today. I'd love to see you draw some pictures of Buzz Lightyear and look for that analogy, and maybe you'll get some ideas on what you should draw. Let's start by just reading the scripture together. We're in chapter two, and we left off last time at the end of verse five. So we're going to go from from verse six through verse 15. Let's just read it together, and then I'm going to draw the truth out of the text, and then, of course, ask What does this have to do with me? So here we go, starting in verse 6, chapter 2 of the book of Colossians. Therefore, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, and firm in your faith, just as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Be careful not to allow anyone to captivate you through an empty, deceitful philosophy that is according to human traditions, and the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. And you have been filled in him, who is the head over every ruler and authority. In him you were circumcised, not, however, with a circumcision performed by human hands, but by the removal of the fleshly body, that is, the circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, you also have been raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. And even though you were dead in your transgressions and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he nevertheless made you alive with him, having forgiven all your transgressions. He has destroyed what was against us, a certificate of indebtedness expressed in decrees opposed to us. He has taken it away by nailing it to the cross, disarming the rulers and authorities. He has made a public disgrace of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So there's a lot there. This is pretty significant body of scripture. And this is what I'd like you to do. I'd like to just 
help you work with your imagination just for a few minutes. I'd like you to imagine yourself as the Colossians today, just for a minute, kind of looking through their lens, looking through their eyes. A few months ago, if you're doing that, then all of you worshiped false idols and false gods because it was common. Everybody was doing that. And that was part of your culture. And then a man came to town named Epaphras, and he told you a story about Jesus and his gospel. And you all believed in this Jesus, and you committed your life to him as your Lord and Savior. So you're changed and transformed. The one who had complete authority in your life now is Jesus. You cleaned out your house of all your symbols and other gods, and you began to live a different life or live differently. But some other people started coming around and they started telling you that Jesus wasn't enough. There were other things you needed to understand and practice in order to gain completeness or fullness and knowledge of God. So if you're thinking through this lens and you already would probably be figuring out, you'd be confused. What would you need? What would you need? A letter from an apostle like Paul, a letter just like the Colossians got. So these scriptures that we've read through this morning in chapter two, verses six through 15 in particular, right? Verses six through seven provide sort of a pivotal position in the letter and a transition into the heart of the issue that Paul has. Remember, he wants everybody to become a mature Christ follower, okay? But he knows that there's some things that we can all fall subject to. There's some dangerous areas or things that can happen if we are not fully mature in Christ, okay? So what we see in this text is a warning and a, a declaration, so to speak, or an uh, affirming confession. We're seeing all kinds of things. We're seeing him admonish, encourage, and strongly insist on some things. We're seeing some really good teaching here, right? So we're going to go and we're going to look at these things in sort of reverse order because I want you to have the foundation of Paul's argument clearly in mind so, so that you can see it and understand it clearly. So the first thing that we're going to talk about is this affirming confession, which really means alive in Christ. That's what he's going to address, being alive in Christ. In verses 9 through 15, this is where this is all contained, this affirming confession regarding the person and the work of Jesus. Okay. Now, we've already encountered uh, a pretty large body of scripture in the text in this letter in chapter 1 verses 15 through 20, and it was devoted to the centrality and the supremacy of Christ, right? So this is really kind of the same thing. It's different, but it's the same. It's a large section of of scripture that's devoted to the same theme about Jesus and some of the same stylistic features kind of so let me do just a quick survey, kind of review a little bit about the essential truths about Jesus and Paul's main point. Let's look at it first, verses 9 and 10 first. 
In verses 9 and 10, it says, For in him all the fullness of deity, that's the fullness of God, lives in bodily form. And you've been filled in him who is the head over every ruler and authority. So there's three ideas that emerge here. And the first idea is all the fullness of deity or of God lives in Jesus. That's a really important thing to understand and get your arms around. It's similar to the statement in chapter one, where he says, for in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. That's just back in Colossians chapter 119. But what was assumed in this verse is now stated really, really clear. The entire, complete, full deity of God lives in Christ in bodily form. The complete, undivided essence of God is in the exalted Christ. And so Christ is the exact image of God. You can see that this destroys all kinds of thinking that God is, or that Jesus is just a man or a good teacher. Deity lives exclusively in Christ and can be found no place else. Christ is not a second different deity. That's not who he is. He is fully God. Let's look at the second, the second thing that kind of emerges here. Believers like the Colossians, they've been filled in him through salvation. Believers like the Colossians, and by the way, believers like us. You see a word kind of play with, play right here, fullness and filled, those words, right? In Christ, believers are filled with the one in whom the fullness dwells or where the fullness lives. So there's still a need for continued growth, but there's no need to look for the fullness in some other spiritual power or ritual observance or anything like that. If all the fullness did not indwell Jesus, then other sources would actually be necessary or viable. But it's all contained in Jesus, okay? And here's the third, the third thing here that emerges out of here. Christ is head over all rulers and authority. And this is important because we... And we learned in chapter one that Christ created all rule and authority. He created all that rulers and authority, everything that rules and everything that has authority. He's created it. He's the source of their being. And so he is superior to all those things. And believers don't need to pay their respects, so to speak, to those things Christ rules over. So we begin to see the main theme here is Christ and Christ alone, Christ plus nothing. Okay, look at verses 11 and 12. Let's bring those up and read those together. It says, in him you were circumcised, not, however, with a circumcision performed by human hands, but by the removal of the fleshly body, that is, through the circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, you also have been raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. So in these verses right here, circumcision refers to actually Christ's death. We're then buried with him, baptized or placed into his grave, then raised with Christ through the power of God who raised Jesus from the dead. So Paul is describing a completed process that's happened to us, right? 
So a believer is a completely new person in Jesus, in Christ, right? The old nature is no longer has any power over us. The old allegiances to false gods no longer have any power over us. As resurrected people, believers now can live a new life through the power that resurrects. We talked about resurrection a lot last week. So look at verses 13 and 14. We'll point out some words here. They'll come up in red. Let's read them together. I want you to pay attention to these words because we're going to kind of talk about these in just a few minutes. Chapter 2, verses 13, start there. And even though you, because there's a change there that he uses, you were dead in your transgressions and in the uncircumcision of your flesh. He nevertheless made you alive with him, having forgiven all your transgressions, that's sin, right? He has destroyed what was against us. That's an important word. Our certificate of indebtedness expressed in decrees opposed to us. He has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. So there's a shift actually in perspective that happens right here. The pronoun you replaces he. So Paul says that we were dead in our transgressions. That's our sin. We were spiritually dead under the power of death, separated from God. That's what separates us from God, by the way, right? Sin. That's why we need Jesus. So he made, God made a way for us to get to him through Jesus. Our flesh was alive, active, and uncircumcised before Jesus in a state of permanent disobedience, physical uncircumcision as Gentile uh, you know, Gentiles was a symbol of spiritual uncircumcision, but God did a miracle. He made us alive together with Christ Jesus through a circumcision not made with human hands, uniting us with Christ. So how was God able to make us alive? It was an act of pure grace. God forgave. He graced us all of our sins through the cross. And I want you to notice that Paul now uses the pronoun us, right? Implying that the cross was necessary for both Jews and Gentiles, both, right? So Paul really elaborates on this act of grace. God had a record is the way he's describing it here. He had a document of all of our sins. He kept an account of all of our debts. And like an IOU, there's a penalty clause that the law demanded. Even though we were Gentiles with, without Torah, we were still accountable to the moral law as much as we understood it. And so the record of debt stood between God and us. We could do nothing about it, not even file for bankruptcy. We were in debt. So what God did was to remove the debt by nailing it to the cross. God nails all the accusations against us to the cross of Jesus, just as his accusations had been nailed there when Jesus was crucified. If you can remember those images, God wiped the slate clean. He printed out our file and he nailed it to the cross. He nailed our record to the cross and he deleted those records from his computer. <laughs> we owe nothing or we owe him nothing in regard to sin. We owe him everything in regard to our life. Forgiveness is pure grace. 
something we don't deserve, but we've been given free anyway. Look at verse 15 now with me. Then it says, disarming the rulers and authorities, he has made a public disgrace of them, triumphing over them by the cross. I just really like this verse because finally God disarmed, divested, he incapacitated the rulers and the authorities of all their power, dignity, and authority. The same two words for rule and authority that Paul used in verse 9, God had basically a parade, all right, in honor of his son's Jesus' Jesus's victory over the powers of sin and death, like the Romans had when they claimed victory over any enemy that they defeated. God's enemies were included in the parade. He put them to open shame. He exposed their utter helplessness for everybody to see. He made visible their true character, even though the authorities and powers have not yet been ultimately destroyed. They have been overcome. Christ's superiority was fully on display. That's what's described right here. So if you're paying attention, you've noticed this thread that weaves through these verses. The phrases in him and with him or in whom some of your versions might say. So the point is that all the fullness of deity, all the fullness of God, everything that is God dwells or lives in Christ. And we've been filled in him by complete immersion, incorporation, union with his death, burial, and resurrection. And as a result, we are complete in Christ. That's such great news when you receive Christ, when you surrender your life to Christ, when you swear allegiance to Christ. Paul continues then to appeal to the supremacy of Christ as the basis of his argument. Can you remember, maybe you can think about this for a minute, can you remember the first time you began to understand these truths about Jesus? The work of Jesus and what his role is. I know this is kind of familiar. It may seem like the ABCs of being a Christ follower for a lot of you, but imagine that you are the Colossians now and all this truth is really fresh and new. It's mind boggling, isn't it? It's exciting. Have you ever been around somebody who has come to Christ and they're, they're just hungry and they're, and they're growing and everything is so, the way they absorb it and the way they are excited, that's these people. You have to never let these truths grow cold or stale in your heart. Every time you read a text like this, you should be filled with a sense of awe and wonder and excitement. Now let's just see how Paul uses this argument because there's a warning which is basically empty philosophy, all right? So look at verse 8. So now we're going to kind of back up a little bit. Look at verse 8. It says, Be careful not to allow anyone to captivate you through empty, deceitful philosophy that is according to human traditions and the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. So there were some people who were telling the Colossians that they were not complete in Christ. They were saying, 
in order to, to have fullness and perfection, they needed to follow a strict discipline of ritual and um, observe certain things and to, in order to take sufficient account of the spiritual powers, right? And the, the text that we are going to look at next week is going to deal with some of these specific issues, but we'll, we'll leave that for, for then. But Paul right now refers to the, the false teaching as a particular philosophy as opposed to philosophy in general, okay? There's nothing wrong with philosophy, but he's talking about something specific here. The philosophy is an empty deception, he says. The false teaching is a hollow sham with no true content, no real substance, he says. The source of this teaching is a man-made tradition. A tradition is something that's handed down from one generation to another. And some traditions are really great, and I believe that we should cling to those. Some things we shouldn't. Tradition is one of those sort of tricky areas. Older people are always accusing younger people of, you know, abandoning some of those kinds of things. And younger people are always thinking, oh my gosh, we don't need any of that and we need to move on. And actually there's a balance to, oh, to, to both because older generations were once younger generation, <laughs> the younger generation, right? So we've got to keep balance here. We have to understand a tradition is something that's handed down from one generation to another. Put it in context, Greek philosophies handed down from one teacher to a student would be an example as with Jewish oral law. So false teachers were claiming a tradition rooted in antiquity that needed to be preserved. And so the false teaching was according to the elemental spirits of the world, a reference to basic elements of the physical world, earth, fire, water, air, all that kind of stuff. I think there's a band named after that. <laughs> and the claim was that there were spiritual powers, rulers, and authorities behind these elements, and they needed to be recognized and given um, um, uh, homage, uh, so to speak, because they controlled man's destiny. And the arguments of false teachers were seductive. And these people were like, oh my gosh, you know, I don't want to leave anything out. So in chapter two, verse three, Paul calls them enticing and things like that. And he begins to warn them to beware, to be on guard, because you, you, you can't be carried away into slavery by getting sucked into this. The false teaching is not according to Jesus, not according to Christ. The tradition of Christ is what we just talked about. The gospel is the word of truth. The mystery of Christ is glorious riches, right? We talked about that last week. Chapter one, verse 27, in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In Christ and Christ alone, we are complete. So, like I said, in every generation, there's enticing traditions and philosophies that have power to keep us from being fully in Christ. And these philosophies range from legalistic religious life to being involved in a cult. And so over the next two weeks, we're going to think about these things and these influences. But another main or major application of this whole letter is the external religious practices. For the first century Jewish Christ follower, the temptation was to keep all the ceremonial aspects of the law, to complete those things, circumcision, food laws, and all the holy days. What really 
angered the Pharisees was when Jesus broke all those rules and those traditions, right? Like healing on the Sabbath or eating with sinners. But this attitude, it actually continues today somewhat. It's easy for Christ followers to accumulate a list of do's and don'ts to define our spiritual life. We do it all the time. Rules become then substitutes for Jesus, and people get upset if the rules are broken. In the church I grew up in, if you wore a hat to church, in church, I mean, you, you might get ushered right on out. In fact, I'm pretty confident an usher would ask you to take off your hat. <laughs> There's nothing that says anything about that in the scriptures necessarily, but those are kind of like our, our cultural traditions, and so we bring a lot of these things into church, right? Rules can become traditions um, we follow that define our life in Christ and make us, remem- or make us a member of the group. This is the way we do things. The enticement is acceptance into the community then. Philosophies like we are the church that does whatever, does this, that, or the other thing, or we have always done it this way. Speak to the powers that have control, or, control over our lives. When we seek to follow the rules or traditions handed down to us, our heart dies, pride increases, sin actually just runs rampant because there's no deity, no fullness in rule keeping. Now, that doesn't mean that we just do whatever we want, right? There is balance and reasonable, reasonableness to lots of things. But there are no areas of life that we might There's plenty of areas in our life, in other words, that we should think about, though, and maybe focus on places where we seek fullness. These might be maybe our work. Sometimes we get so wrapped up in our work that that's where we find our fullness and we find our purpose or our spouse or our children or our family or our family traditions. All of these things are good, but they are not an added source of spiritual fullness. There is no deity in them. If we seek some sort of completeness from these things or these areas of life, then we become captives. All traditions aren't bad. That's not necessarily what he's saying here or or what I'm saying as well. There are traditions that are handed down through generations that give life and they cultivate faith. And there are behaviors that are not wise, things that we should avoid. I'm not actually a fan of wearing a hat on the stage during worship and things like that. I'm just not because I think there's balance to those kinds of things as well. But we have to be aware, guarding against substituting rules or people for being in Christ. Whenever the truth of Jesus breaks through the the dead orthodoxy of the church, there's always a revival and an excitement And revival happens because people start living in Christ. That is what Paul is strongly encouraging, you could say, insisting. Let's talk about this encouraging insistence just a minute. It's really live in Christ. That's it. Verses 6 and 7, look at verses 6 and 7. It says, therefore, just as you've received Christ as Lord, continue to live lives in him, rooted and built up in him, 
and firm in your faith, just as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. The idea of receive here, received Christ, it does not refer to praying the prayer and receiving Christ. That's not what he's actually talking about here. But the idea is a teaching that's been handed down about Jesus. A teaching that's been handed down about Jesus. Now think about this. The Colossians received the tradition of Christ through a guy named Epaphras. The tradition centers on Jesus as Lord, the person of Jesus, the firstborn of creation and the new creation, the one who died on the cross for forgiveness of, of sins. Jesus is not one among, uh, among many, but rather the only one who is deity. The encouraging insistence here is to walk in Christ or to live in Christ, to keep the tradition received and not be seduced by other traditions. That's what he's saying here. So Paul, for Paul, there's no distinction between believing and living. Do you get that from Paul? No distinction between believing and living. Walking involves every aspect of our lives, how we live in a way that is true to our identity in being united with Christ and pleasing to God. This is the very thing that Paul prayed in chapter one. Chapter one, verse nine and 10, put that up. He says, for this reason, we also, from the day we heard about you, have not ceased praying for you and asking God to fill you with the, with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you may live worthily of the Lord and please him in all aspects, bearing fruit in every good deed, growing in the knowledge of God. Just note in, uh, again the phrase in him that occurs two times in verses six and seven. In him. It says, therefore, chapter one, verse six and seven, therefore, just as you've received Christ, Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him and firm in your faith, just as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. So Paul says that the Colossians have been rooted like a tree is rooted, planted in the rich soil of Jesus through death, burial, and resurrection. This has happened in the past and it's Ongoing effects are taking place. And so the Colossians are currently in the process of being built up like a building or a dwelling. And they are overflowing, by the way, with gratitude. The idea of thanksgiving occurs over and over again in, the, in this letter, all throughout chapter one, two, three, and even in chapter four. And so when we live in Christ, we overflow with a joyful gratitude. No doubt this is based on what God has done for us in Christ. When we are captured by the truth of verses 9 through 15, basically, we cannot help but overflow with thanksgiving. It just spills on out of us. But what does it mean for us to live or walk in Christ? This is a question that we're going to talk about over the next number of weeks as we get through chapter 3. Essential to living in Jesus is the fact that you've been fully, completely incorporated into his death, burial, and resurrection. And at some point, God put you and Jesus together. At some point, it happens. Okay? And this is the mindset that is foundational for how we live. Maybe you can understand now why I kind of went in reverse order. Having a clear understanding of the tradition of Christ, it's essential for shedding, so to speak, 
these philosophies that are false and live in Christ without being ruled by external religious practices. We're to live fully in Jesus, fully in Christ. We don't start living based on a bunch of rules. That's not how we start living in Christ. We don't select a church because that church does all the things we like in terms of religious practices. Some people do that. I think it's a really bad way to choose church. If you start living by external guidelines, even things that are good ideas, you end up living in our own strength and your own power. And it becomes about you and actually not about Jesus. You'll be under the control of the powers that have no deity, imprisoned or enslaved by the do's and the don'ts, basically. We are to start living as people who have been filled in Christ. So what does this have to do with me? Let's just bring it right to front and center now. I told you I was going to talk to you about this character called Buzz Lightyear. I really like Buzz Lightyear. Maybe you've seen that little movie called Toy Story in the whole series of movies. I think Buzz Lightyear is a really cool character. Buzz Lightyear imagines himself to be real and not a toy. I think that's what everybody loves about him. He thinks he's real. He does not think he's a toy. He thinks he has the power to fly and he has special equipment to adapt to outer space. <laughs> right? If, you, if you've seen the movie, you realize that when he pushes a button and his wings come out and everything, he doesn't actually fly. He doesn't have any rocket power. The wings aren't, they're just, you know, <laughs> it's so great. And he just doesn't quite understand what the heck is going on because he thinks he's got all this power. His motto is what? What's his motto? To infinity and beyond. It's, it's the greatest motto, right? Now listen, what if, what does this have to do with us? What if we saw ourselves not as just a person, but a person in Christ who we really actually are? You know, the difference between Buzz Lightyear and us is that we really are in Christ. But what if we had that same sort of like just really abandoned belief in exactly who we are in Christ, like Buzz Lightyear? I think that's, that's what Paul is after here. How about this? What if we saw ourselves to have powers, not powers from intellect or status or abilities, but powers from the Holy Spirit who lives in us? What if we recognize we really lived and we saw ourselves to have that kind of power? Because this is where Jesus dwells. So the Holy Spirit and all that power that belongs to him, that is God, fully God, the Holy Spirit, just the same as Jesus all of that power resides and lives here. What if we lived and tapped into that power? Our motto might be faith in Jesus and beyond. That's what I titled this message. Faith in Jesus and beyond. Because that's the way we'd be living. When we're filled, here's the, the second point. This is what this has to do with us. When we're filled in him, the life of Jesus flows from us and it spills out everywhere we go. It just spills out. We overflow with who Jesus is. It just comes out everywhere, all over people, so to speak. People have to deal with then that we are living in the fullness of Christ. When you go to work, you're not actually in Raytheon, living in the culture of Raytheon, we are 
in Christ. When you go shopping, you're not in Target. We think we're in Target looking for stuff. We are in Christ. When we come to church, we're not in Vail Christian Church trying to act like we belong. We are in Christ, you see. We're in Christ. We are the body of Christ, the household of faith. We are Christ followers because we are in Christ. Here's the third thing. We are in Christ. We're not trying in our own strength to act like Christ, but rather being Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. It just sort of summarizes what I've already said, right? And then fourth, we're in him. We are alive in Christ and we're now living in Christ. And if we're living in Christ and our heart is overflowing with gratitude and joy for what God has done for us in Christ, and I think true Christ followers are overflowing with this joy and this thanksgiving for what Christ has done and how he's transformed and changed us and rescued us. We take just a few minutes and let me pray with you and we'll wrap this together. Thank you, Lord God, that we can take this body of truth now and draw the text out of it and learn from it and apply apply it to us. This has everything to do with us, knowing and understanding exactly who Christ is. Thank you, God, again, that you've made a way for us to be in your presence through Christ and that all of the deity that is God is in Christ Jesus. So that's where all the treasure is, the wisdom and the knowledge. That's where all the fullness is. So now, Lord God, help us to live in a way to where we allow all that to spill out and to overflow. And the people that we encounter, this is the perfect time in our life, Lord, for people to encounter just who Jesus is because he spills out of our life. We don't want to be captivated by these empty philosophies and elemental things, these traditions. Some of those things are good, but that's not who our God is. The rules and the do's and the don'ts can be important at times, but those are not our God. We pray then, Lord God, that we would live in a manner that is worthy and pleasing and acceptable. And we would believe like Buzz Lightyear that we are really in Christ. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. Join us next week as Pastor Ben takes us further into the great mystery. If you have any questions, would like more information about our church, or would like to see the video cast of this message, please visit our website at www.bailchristian.com.